Hello and welcome to 20 to 1, a brand new podcast that explores the lives of accomplished individuals with me, Josiah Senu, your host. In each episode, I aim to uncover the tips, tricks and insights that have made my guests pioneers in their field, all in 20 questions. So now it's time to welcome Michael Bins. Mike is a seasoned intellectual property attorney and now the head of patent portfolio strategy for Meta's family of apps. In this role, Mike focuses on innovations and developments related to the future of social networking and the development of the metaverse and Web3. But when away from Meta, Mike is also committed to giving back to his community, sitting as board chair of Page Turner's Make Great Learners in Atlanta and being an active board member of the Georgia Wildlife Federation and the National Council on Patent Practicum. Mike, it's an absolute honor for us to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, it's not every day, Mike, that we get someone from Meta on the podcast. Um, So we've got to ask you, what is the metaverse and what is Web3? The age-old question, right? Like, what is the metaverse? You You know, it's funny because everyone's almost got their impression of what it is. But I think you've identified it as Web3. That's kind of what we're thinking about. If you think about where we are now in Web 2.0, as people have articulated, it's that kind of ability to share and communicate using images, media, content. So you can share what's going on in your life via content, small small form video, et cetera. But imagine that persona, that opportunity where you and I are communicating in what seems like real time in the same space together really experiencing social presence right together, right? So we're not communicating on a screen. You're sitting here beside me, or at least a version of you are, and vice versa. The metaverse is effectively that, the embodied internet, right? And it allows us to seamlessly do things together in what seems like real time. We've maybe seen this, maybe your listeners have, the movie Ready Player One or read the book, right? Where they jump into this space called the Oasis, Together in the Oasis, their avatars are experiencing a racing game or having a drink together or just kind of socializing, interacting, working on cars together. The metaphors is effectively that. And we actually have bits and pieces of that now. We don't really realize it, right? But oftentimes you hear this, particularly from older individuals who are like, oh, it's just video games. Well, kind of, but not really, right? So like Roblox, which most adults are like, ugh, Roblox. But you don't realize all these people, hopefully just kids and not predators, are getting together. They're doing things together. They're taking one avatar, pairing with their other friends and going and play different games, right? Like, it's kind of what it is. Fortnite. Hey, let's get together. By the way, Travis Scott is performing in two weeks. Let's go check them out. They all jump in the same time. I know my kids were going crazy. I was there. We're we're all sitting here together roaming this world. And before you know it, Travis Scott beams down out of nowhere, performs two hit songs, and everybody's like, oh, wow, it's crazy. And he disappears, and then everybody goes back to their normal life, right? Imagine, like, Travis Scott's not going to beam into your living room instantaneously, but he kind of does in this metaverse space. And so it's the embodied internet. I like to tell people this. Imagine a scenario where, you know, you two are both wearing glasses, right? So you can tap your lens, the screen goes kind of dark. And before you know it, you're both just really relaxing. 
the sound of an ocean wave is washing over you. And you open your eyes and you're staring at white sand beaches and clear blue ocean. All right, you haven't moved. You're exactly where you are, but you are both experiencing it together. And you look to your left or right and your avatar of the other individual sitting there right beside you, hearing, seeing, and experiencing the same thing you are. And you're kind of going to this meditative state right in the middle of your living room. And at least for a moment, you're on the beach. You're sharing a conversation. You both have a cocktail. You clink glasses. You feel it in real time. And then you're like, all right, the alarm rings. And you're like, got to go to my next assignment or go back to work or (laughs) go to the grocery store. But you were able to disconnect and in a new reality experience kind of what that's like. And I feel like that's kind of what Web3 is. You're basically able to feel emotions, feel environments. That sensation that you get from being in a particular environment is is everything, right? It's what we're all craving for to have immersive experiences. So then what makes this space so exciting for Meta? Why change the name from Facebook to Meta, for example? Well, what's pushing that innovation as you see it? I'm not going to answer for Mark, who has definitely done a phenomenal job of posting on what his vision for the metaverse is. But as you know, right, Meta's mission is to connect people. And I think we all experienced a little bit of this through the pandemic, where we're all sitting at home. And of course, you know, with the advent of really cool technology, Zoom rose to prominence and a lot of other social networking opportunities that allowed people to actually see people and feel a little bit more connected. But the metaverse goes beyond connecting with your friends on, say, video or through images or even FaceTime, or like WhatsApp calls, what it allows you to do is hopefully feel that that person or group of people are there together. You know, with a divided world that is now a lot more connected, you and I can talk across the pond, imagine a world where that wasn't the case, but imagine now where we're sitting there filming a podcast in a unified setting, sitting on the same couch. Your avatar is there, my avatar is there. And when you have the conversation, you kind of feel like that's happening. And you can experience a glimpse of that now in like Horizon Worlds, right? So you can throw on your VR headset and your avatar, which is dressed largely like mine. And of course, they just rolled out on Instagram, Balenciaga and Prada gear. So you can now dress the way you kind of want to. And you're sitting in kind of a lounge. We talk about that beach environment. Now you're in a lounge. People are hanging out, there's music playing in the background, you're experiencing the same thing. You can go to concerts together, you can watch the NBA finals together, you can watch a football game. Imagine both of you are like, hey, I'm going to go see Real Madrid play. Cool, me too, what time? You both throw on your headset, you're both at the football game and you're like, wait a minute, like this is different. I think that's kind of what we're trying to do, give people those experiences that they otherwise wouldn't and really create a situation where everyone has the opportunity to hop in and hop out, really changing the way we work, changing the way we live, changing the way we interact, and changing the way we get to to communicate with each other. I really like what you're saying, because this all sounds incredibly exciting, but it's clearly not just about entertainment. There are some real-life practical implications. So I'm wondering whether you see this as potentially improving the situation of women in the workplace, potentially individuals from underprivileged backgrounds. Does this make professions potentially more accessible? Oh, you're speaking my language. When you start to talk about how can we make 
the world more inclusive of women and underrepresented minorities and really strive towards equality and really bridging the gap? The answer is absolutely yes. Now, let me caveat this by saying we still have a lot of work to do, a tremendous amount of work, right? For example, if you're going to be able to get into the metaverse right now, that access is going to usually be through some sort of augmented reality or virtual reality, headset, device, et cetera. Those things cost money, right? Even a portal or things like that. I mean, we saw this during the pandemic where we, through the nonprofit page turners, had to work diligently to get like Wi-Fi cards provided to low-income neighborhoods so that they can just simply get on Zoom to do their work, to attend classes, to... So that's difficult. So we have to still, as a community, overcome those barriers, those gaps. But now you're not saying to yourself, oh, by the way, you need to be at Oxford to study and learn and go through these classes. You have to attend Harvard to be able to hear Cornell West speak. You have to be in Silicon Valley to work at Meta or Google and so on and so forth. With the advent of things like remote work and remote experiences, you can be present without being physically present. How much does it cost to fly to the Bay Area? The cost is far more expensive for you across the pond than it is for me in Atlanta, but it's even more expensive for me in Atlanta than someone who lives in the Bay Area. But the cost of living in the Bay Area is ridiculous and astronomical to some. So you can get rid of all of that with a $300 MetaQuest, right? Yes, $300 is expensive. It's certainly not as expensive as a plane ticket to the Bay Area. But if I can throw on a headset and hear Mark Zuckerberg lecture, or I can hear the CEO and founder of a new startup give an experience, yes, you can do that. And so things like that are absolutely possible. So now you can say working mother or working parent or woman who was displaced because we saw during the pandemic disproportionately women were losing their jobs or stepping away from the workforce due to home responsibilities than men. And unfortunately, men were then taking those jobs. So we're actually taking a step back on where we were, which wasn't a great place. How do we kind of right the ship, right? But now you can do that with things like remote work like social presence, like being allowing people to be present in spaces and so almost like they're there. And I think that allows us to bridge the gap. Something that is needed, is important, and that we can really focus on with the advent of Web3 and beyond. It's really interesting that you say that because it sounds like a lot of what Meta is doing right now is connecting humans, right? It's about creating accessibility to people who wouldn't have that level of access but for the creation of this technology. But we're also seeing, right, that it also can have harmful effects, right? I mean, during COVID, people really suffered from not being together in the same workspaces, in the same shared spaces. They weren't able to feel the coffee conversation, you know, that you have in the middle of in the middle of work. So how do you address those issues? You know, how do you address a world whereby, yes, we're becoming increasingly connected on the internet, but it seems that we're becoming even more disconnected because we're not sharing those moments you know, of human interaction, physical human interaction together. I think that we have to be, you know, we, I say, when I say we, I mean the royal we is in the, the community, have to be more sensitive of the push and pull for everyone. No debate that Meta's mission is to connect people. And I think phenomenal opportunities have occurred because of the products and services that Meta provides. 
right? I, for one, I'm speaking personally, love the fact that I can scroll through, see what's happening to my friends on Facebook, see kind of the experiences they're having on Instagram, shoot them a message and say, hey, just really saw what you were doing. That was awesome on Messenger. And then to the extent necessary, we can jump on a quick chat on WhatsApp. Mind-blowing. That's allowing me to stay in touch with people that I'm not regularly contacting. But then you see them in their feet, your feed, their timeline, you realize they're graduating from this or they're at a vacation or they're coming up on a birthday, new job. Those are important. How do we deal with as a community the fact that people are feeling more shut in or less connected because of what they see? That's tough. You know, I can't answer that. I'm not answering that on behalf of the company, but I think that we have to try to meet people where they are still. All these resources are just that resources, in my opinion. They're not an end all be all, right? Sometimes you got to pick up the phone and call someone, call them on Messenger, call them on WhatsApp, call them on a simple telephone line and say, hey, how are you doing? How are things going? And hopefully the connection online allows us an opportunity at some point to build stronger relationships so that when we come together, we're able to build more meaningful, lasting impressions that hopefully make one's heart full. That's the hope. And I feel when you think about Web3, if we can take that a little bit further. So now, to your point earlier, you can have that conversation over coffee. Zoom allowed us to do that somewhat. But if I'm able to do that at a setting that feels almost real world, right? Like we're at a cafe in Paris. Hey, I want to meet at such and such a cafe in Paris. Are you interested? And the other person is like, yeah, they throw on their headset. You both come into that same experience while both sharing a cup of coffee. Sure. My cup of coffee was (laughs) from my Nespresso machine at home and yours was (laughs) drip coffee. And it's not really from that cafe. But if we're sitting in the same environment across from each other, you hear the hustle and bustle of a Parisian street behind you. You can see off in the distance, the Eiffel Tower. Hopefully that starts to give you a little bit more of that heartful feeling as compared to simply seeing it in your timeline. And I think everyone's trying to juggle that, right? I try to juggle that as a parent when I say to my kids, yes, you're seeing your friends doing these things. Why don't you give them a call? Why don't you reach out to them? Set up a play date. Let's find a time for them to go catch a movie. And I think during the last two and a half plus years of the pandemic, where you couldn't do those in-person things, that became really tough. You speak a lot about building communities and building spaces of connectivity where people come together and we can feel like we, there's a greater understanding between all of us. Now, you weren't always at Meta, right? You, you also had a pretty established career as an IP attorney, litigator, and you've made that transition into Meta where your focus is on this building communities. What moved you? What made you think that this was something that you wanted to do, especially as you know, having that career in IP? I think for me, it's the mission, Meta's mission, and their value, right? So I really thoroughly enjoyed my time as a partner and attorney at the various law firms with which I had the pleasure and honor of practicing. Great field, lots of great clients. And just to kind of clarify to listeners who may, may you know, maybe not understand the legal industry, when you're a lawyer at a law firm, and most lawyers, you are 
arguably an expert or someone who has extreme skill in a legal area, and you represent multiple different clients in achieving a number of different goals. As an IP attorney or intellectual property attorney, I helped clients handle patents, copyrights, trademarks, trade secrets, in obtaining some of those, as well as litigating, either asserting or defending against those, right? And an intellectual property for clarification is property of the mind, right? So you have real property, buildings and commercial real estate, residential real estate. Intellectual property or property of the mind is something you can conceive of. Invent it. It's a patent. Trademark it. Logo, slogan, sounds, etc. Copyright it. Scripts, books, etc. And trade secrets, something like the recipe for Coca-Cola, which is only allegedly known by two or three people. And you're like, ooh, that's so mysterious. Those are the types of things that I help my clients do. But the other piece of it, when you go and work in-house, or the reason why they call you in-house counsel is because I am now a lawyer for Meta. They're my only client now. I traded in all my other clients, which I loved and really appreciated working with, for one client. I like to say the difference between the two is when I was at a law firm, I was a hired gun, if you will, right? So I had a unique set of skills that I would bring to the table. Um, And when the job was done, they were like, here is your payment. Good job. But I never got invited to the party, right? I took my briefcase proverbially, of course. And then I I walked off into the sunset. The movie was over. I think that, you know, the missing kid was returned and all was well, hopefully. In-house at Meta, I'm helping constantly, day in and day out with a number of different issues, my team, et cetera, we're working, but all of that is for Meta constantly. So we ride the ups, we ride the downs. But when when we're celebrating at the party, I'm there because I'm invited because I'm a part of the team. But Meta's mission is really what kind of did it for me. During the pandemic, I saw a lot of all the things we talked about. How are people connecting? We need to do that more. And Meta really believed in that, believes in that. I saw that to be true. And then also, I love giving back to our community. So you you mentioned some of the nonprofits of which I'm involved. Page Turners Make Great Learners, which is focused on giving books to elementary school kids in underprivileged communities. Realizing that if a kid doesn't know how to read by the age of eight, there's two to 300% chance of incarceration by the time they're a teenager. That's terrible. Also focusing on the National Council on Patent Practicum, the NCPP, which is an organization that trains individuals to become patent agents, which is someone who can go and help people apply for and get patents. I'll always bring up the story of one of my favorite stories. So I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States. And one of my favorite stories is that of Sarah Blakely. She founded Spanx. And spoiler alert, if you're not aware, in October of last year, 2021, she sold Spanx for over $1.2 billion. Kind of a big deal right? But it all started because she had an idea and she patented that idea. But before she could patent it, she went to a number of attorneys and said, hey, I've got an idea. It's for this thing I call Spanx. And all these, at the time, white men, which were the only patent attorneys in the space, were like, that just sound like pantyhose. That's already out there. (laughs) And they didn't help her out, right? This woman has $1.3 billion idea And they're all like, no, it's been done. What? (laughs) It wasn't until one of the daughters of the attorney was like, hey, I think that's kind of a really good idea. I think you're missing the mark here, dad. 
And he was like, you know what? I'll help her out. I will help her out. And even though she did a lot of the prep work herself, they jumped in and helped her. And I mean, I already told you the end of the story, right? But if if you don't have representation that looks like you and that tells you that you can do this, how do you do it? And that's hard. I think that's difficult. And the NCPP really helps bring diverse practitioners into the space so that next time the next Sarah Blakely can see a woman across from her as the attorney helping her or the agent helping her to get her idea patented. That a Latinx individual can look at someone and say, this is really unique and here's why. And it may be a cultural significance why the invention is important. But then the attorney or the agent on the other side can say, I get it. I'm from the same culture. Let me help you get this patent on this. And they can sell their company for billions of dollars, right? Like all of those things matter when you're thinking about closing the generational wealth gap, when you're thinking about equality, empowering people to start their own businesses, become entrepreneurs, become innovators. And I mean, that dovetails into so many things, creators owning your own intellectual property in the space and getting credited and rewarded for it. Extremely important. And companies like Meta believe in that and it shows. So joining them for me is kind of a no-brainer because they support the very things I support, allow me to help bring innovation to the world and simultaneously supporting a lot of the DEI initiatives that I truly believe in. It sounds really like the red thread throughout your career has been serving others, helping out, trying and make the workforce more diverse. And I just wonder where that passion came from and why you're so committed to these goals. I appreciate that. So I think the easy answer is, and it's spoiler for everybody, yes, I may be fortunate to work at Meta and I'm honored to be in my role. But guess what? I'm no spe- more special than anyone else. I'm an immigrant boy that was born in Jamaica, West Indies. Uh, I grew up in Jamaica until the age of nine. I moved to the United States, to New York City, if you will. Sadly, the streets were not paved with gold. I don't know what they said. (laughs) It's not true at all. Unless, of course, gold is a euphemism for dirt and really (laughs) runny sewage water. And I love New York, but I grew up there and really just kind of thanks to the support and help of others that mentored me and were have conversations with me and spoke to me and said, you've got a knack for this, or you could do this, or I did this. I am where I am. And so if I can't give back to the next generation and say, hey, you immigrant kid, dreamer, as they're saying, and that was me through and through, you can do this too, then I'm not doing my just desserts, right? Like I don't want to take from the world more than I give back. I actually want it to be the opposite. I would love to kind of make sure I empower the next generation to come up, be better than me. And I don't just mean my own kids. I don't just mean my family members. I mean the world as a whole. And so that's what's been driving me. If others took the time to impart wisdom into me, the least I could do is do the same. That's really good for the coming generations who will hopefully benefit from that. I would like to know what you think are the biggest challenges that you've faced. And it'd be interesting to hear specifically in terms of your background as someone who's an immigrant, what would you think are the biggest issues that people coming from similar backgrounds face? And what are sort of the most effective policies and projects that law firms, universities, you know, all sorts of workplaces can enforce to help facilitate careers for everyone? 
starting it, like, what can we do in terms of advice? Well, and obstacles that I kind of face. For one, as I mentioned before, I'm a dreamer, was a dreamer in that I came to the United States undocumented. I was a visitor who overstayed. So you can get access to the United States from a number of different countries using a visitor's visa. And mind you, I'm a kid, so I am not at any point creating some malicious scheme to get in the United States and <laughs> then, then become like some kingpin taking over the world. No, it wasn't that at all. And I feel like people miss that point, right? My parents wanted to provide me with a better life. A hurricane hit my home, tore the roof off of our little one-bedroom house in Jamaica, and my parents needed me and my little sister to go somewhere while they attempted to fix the house. They sent us to the United States on visitor's visa to go stay with my aunt in New York. Unaccompanied minors, if you will, getting off the plane at JFK in New York and, and my aunt greeting us and kind of really welcoming us to the United States. And then we overstayed. I didn't know this. No one tells a nine-year-old kid, hey, kid, you're violating the immigration laws. You should go back to your own country. And I think people miss that part. Kids aren't malicious in this point. It wasn't until I became a teenager and I was applying for college, which I had always had a drive thanks to my parents, um, my mom predominantly, because I was mostly raised in a single parent household, is just to do your best and give yourself the greatest opportunities to succeed in this world. And it wasn't until I was applying for college, I realized I didn't qualify because people were saying, can you provide your social security number? And I'm like, went home, mom, what's my social security number? Yeah, about that. So <laughs> let me explain a little bit about how you got here and <laughs> what your status really is. And you're like, wait, what do you mean? So sitting there glazed and starry eyed as a kid, I think it's 16. And so let me get this straight. I have no social security number. <laughs> no. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> you figured it out. Well, how do I get one? Do I go down and just kind of like sign a name on a paper? They give me a number and I'm good to go. Can I get six? Maybe two? Two's my favorite number. Can I get that? They're like, it's not that simple. <laughs> and then having to la navigate the legal landscape of, whoa, at this age, like really kind of my eyes being open. So wait a minute. So technically I'm here illegally, meaning anything I do wrong, I, I, I just, I could be deported never be allowed back into the United States. And the life that I've known for the last eight years can just be gone, taken away from me just that quickly. And then for my mom to be like, yes. <laughs> okay. So I think that was really difficult, right? And, and saying when my guidance counselors, and I was very fortunate that I had good grades and I was in you know the top of my high school at the time, my guidance counselor was like, well, what college are you going to? And feeling ashamed to say, actually none, because all colleges require a social security number and I don't have one. Well, I found out that was not true. I could go to like a community college, which didn't ask the question. And so people were like, you're going to community. So that was my, that became my stock answer. I'm just going to go to community college and keep working, which by the way, you can't also legally work. <laughs> you have to work under the books. So that was a challenge. I certainly did that to try to make money for my mom and my little sister so we could eat and supplement my mother's income. But overcoming that was difficult. I did, thanks to, as I mentioned before, people really imparting in me. People found ways for me to receive scholarships to college using international student criteria that I qualified for. And then working diligently to, with lawyers to try to get my documentation. 
so I could be hold a green card in the United States and then eventually citizenship. And and I wanted to be a doctor, but guess what? I got into medical school after college, no social security number, can't go to college, you don't have credit, you can't take out loans. So that became very difficult. And so trying to navigate all these steps was hard, but I tell people all the time, look to people who are in positions that you want to be in and ask them for advice. Ask them how they got there. Ask them how they achieved their goals. And I, I tell you, most people are not malicious in what they do. They are willing to give back. They're willing to share with you. They're willing to give you advice and guidance. And if you're willing to take it, receive it and apply it, I think everyone can succeed and be kind of where I am, if not better. It's just that the other point that you raised was, well, what can we do so that we can avoid these issues? And I think, unfortunately, it's education. I think our younger generation does not understand fully the path that's before them, the options that are afforded to them. For example, you both are doing a phenomenal job in in your studies, but you're also launching and supporting this podcast with the understanding that it could grow to be something phenomenal, right? But you're doing more than one thing. You're putting your talents and skills in a number of different areas. People don't know that that's an option. You know, I think the older generation doesn't understand that influencing is truly a profession. And the younger generation doesn't understand that it's hard to become an influencer that actually can make enough money to sustain. But because the older generation says you shouldn't do it, the younger generation doesn't understand the finances of it. There's a big gap in between. So then rather than communicating and say, well, how can we effectively do this so that you can grow up, give yourself the best shot at becoming an influencer, but having fallback plans in the case it doesn't work, we don't even have the conversation at all. Kids get yelled at. You spend too much time on the Internet. Younger kids yell at the older adults and say, you don't understand. You're a dinosaur. OK, boomer, all that stuff. And so you end up with the disconnect and then no one speaks to each other. They don't have a connection, right? Gaming's the same way. Esports is big. It's huge. It's a billion dollar industry and it's growing. But if you tell your kids, you play too many video games, get off those video games. They rat your brain. Your kid's going to say, you don't understand. You're crushing my dreams. (laughs) (laughs) And then that's the problem, right? They don't have a communication rather than saying, you know what? If you accomplish all your schoolwork and your studies and you maintain a certain grade level, I will let you play all the video games you want if that's what you want to do. That's a communication you can have because if little Jimmy walked into the room and say, I want to be an NBA superstar or I want to go and play football, I want to go into the UEFA league, I want to go play all of these things. Most parents would be like, oh, yes, thank you. And what they do is they put them in camps. They get them coaches. They shuttle them to games on Saturdays and Sundays. They take them to practice after school. They tell them to join the team. And then they support them. Oh, little Jimmy's in in football. He's going to be a forward. He's amazing. But they don't support that for influencing. They don't support that for – and I think it's lack of education on both the parents and the students' part, right? The likelihood that Jimmy becomes the next Messi is slim to none, but it's possible. It's certainly possible. Maybe he's he's not Messi, but he, he gets to play, right? It's weird. People realize that, but don't realize that there's other things. So what I think education across the board is important. 
And ironically, one of my big advocacy goals is to do that for law. I don't think people realize that law is a profession. And I see this as predominantly in underrepresented groups. And I know there are a lot of lawyers in the world. Some would argue we don't need any more. (laughs) But I think people have a misconception of lawyers. At Meta, for example, we have nearly 1,500 lawyers. There's lawyers for everything. Lawyers for immigration. Lawyers for how we treat our trademarks. For me, lawyers who treat our patents. Lawyers who do employment. Lawyers who or do policy, lawyers who do litigation, lawyers who do contracts, lawyers who help work directly with universities so universities can create new and innovative programs. So many lawyers doing so many different things. If you like high fashion brands, you want, there's, you know how many lawyers Prada has? You know how many lawyers Louis Vuitton has? There's lawyers for Nike. There's lawyers everywhere, but people don't know this and they're very successful, lucrative careers. And I'll tell you, the likelihood of you becoming a lawyer for one of those companies is higher than it is becoming the next Messi. But you need education (laughs) to show that. And I'll tell you, lots of lawyers make tons of money. Before the Kardashians became the Kardashians, the money came from their father, who was a lawyer. They were rich (laughs) thanks to the work of their dad. And it allowed opportunities for them to do other things. And I think people miss miss that. So really promoting kind of an opportunity so that we're not just thinking the only options, particularly for underrepresented minority or lower income individuals, to think that their only solution is to become a baller, entertainer, and now perhaps an influencer without the support of that. So a long-winded way of saying I've gone through a lot. And one thing I've learned is education. And not just formal education, but from people who have gone through life experiences, real world education can really help you overcome a lot of these issues and really create a path for yourself that's going to be fulfilling and enjoyable. It's incredible because in many ways you summarize sort of so, so much that makes you who you are. You know, the dreamer, the change maker, the entrepreneur, so many of these different facets of you coming together to propel you into a certain direction. But then you also speak very eloquently about the value of mentoring and the value you had of finding those around you who could support you and help you on your way to achieving success. What would you say to those who are looking at you, hearing your experiences, um, you know, they don't know the best ways to find those mentors or find a way to get the education or receive the advice that will help them on their journey. What are some of the things that you think that they can do irrespective of where they are and what they're doing so they can have the dreams, the visions, the mission to be a better human? I think that it's funny. We're now more than ever have those opportunities at our fingertips than ever before. Thanks to companies like Meta and and others, right? Like LinkedIn and other social networking sites. I want everybody to understand that you can parse through all of the noise, all of the stunting, all of the dripping, all of the showing off that we all show to the world. And in between all of that is a a lot of nuggets and a lot of really good information from people who are just trying to share how they got where they are. You don't realize it, but when people go live, yes, they're so like, oh my gosh, look at me, I'm in my pool and I'm driving my million dollar car. (laughs) And then maybe towards the end of it, they may say, oh, I did this this way. Oh, I may have missed the nugget. I may have missed the nugget, but there's books, 
you know, YouTube videos, not all of them are great, right? The ones that are like, pay me $30 and you can join a member of my group and you can do the way I do it too. <laughs> I get it. A lot of that out there is spam and right will mess up your perception of kind of the reality of it. But there's so many really genuine people that silently are going around doing amazing things and following their LinkedIn, following them on YouTube or Instagram, really watching those nuggets and kind of having the sense to parse through all the noise and all the, eh, it's not necessarily applicable to me. And really grabbing the nuggets out of that, I think is really helpful. You see that glimpses of it, books. And then of course, ironically, not in the way that people might think, but sliding into someone's DMs, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> people could contact me and other mentors and people in play places that they want to be in on LinkedIn and say, hey, I saw that you posted about this. I thought that was really meaningful. What are your thoughts? You'd be surprised, but a lot of really big people like to give back and answer their YouTube comments. They answer their direct messages when you're asking them meaningful things that are really important to them and how they operate and the things that they care about. And when you do that, I feel like you can learn a tremendous amount. Read books, go and pick up a book on the things that matter to you. I've been really excited to see so many different things at a bookstore or on Amazon, or they just say, this is how I did that. I listened to a podcast, How I Built This, that talks about entrepreneurs and their journeys on when they went from nothing to something. Now, of course, it can be a little skewed because the host is Guy Raz is only talking to people who've made it. So don't forget the, the people who have not. But listen to the parts of the people who have made it on how they failed along the way and how they didn't give up, how they didn't say or listen to people saying, don't do it anymore, where Sarah Blakely didn't hear, this is just another pantyhose. You're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> and then listen to it and say, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to selling fax machines door to door. Can you see the longevity of her job? Literally fax machines? Do you know what a fax machine is? No one does. Even when I used fax machines, I didn't know how to use fax machines. So, you know, you don't realize all these things, but like, you know, when you even when you're talking about it, podcasting, for example, is the new medium. You don't need hundreds of thousands of dollars of production anymore to get your voice out there. You can use a podcast and find your audience. And now you've got global people connecting you. You can use things like social media, Instagram, and others to reach audiences that are niche to you. And you don't need to have a syndicated broadcast to make a difference. So I tell people, seek out education. And sometimes it's not going to be your parents, unfortunately. A lot of times it is. Have a conversation about that. Educate them as well. Share with them these things, these experiences. You meet in the middle. But I think that's kind of key. And I think that now more than ever... If we can parse through the noise, we can really find a lot of really good information out there. I was going through a personal journey very recently of making a transition from the world of law to the world of tech. I don't feel like I've left the law intellectually and emotionally, but at least from a career perspective, I have, and I'm, I'm sort of making that transition towards tech and sort of pursuing a world in tech. And, you know, there is a lot that goes on, right? It's a huge industry with so many different players. And I've been trying to seek education in that space and, and learn more. And what would you say are some good resources that I could take a look at where, you know, it could really help to understanding more about navigating this space? You know, I hear it all the time and I, it's really resonated with me and people say it regularly. 
where your passion and your experiences meet, that's your purpose. That's your mission. That's what you've been destined to do. And no one else can do that except you. I think we oftentimes don't realize that, right? Like we don't realize, hey, I have been through some very unique things that makes me Josiah, makes me Alice. And because of that, I am where I am and no one else can be here. Nobody else. We miss that because what we want to do is we want to be the person that we see on social media, but that person can't be you. And we forget that. So when you say to yourself, what are the experiences and the passion of where those things intersect in a beautiful Venn diagram? And how do I amplify that? When it comes to resources, when you're thinking about like, well, what's been influential in the law, in tech, take a listen to the people who are the lawyers at tech companies. I listen quite often to our general counsel at Meta, right? Jennifer Newstead. I listen to the general counsels at other big tech companies, Paul Graywall at Coinbase. You know, he's the general counsel of a big cryptocurrency exchange. Um, Listen to the founders of these tech companies, talks from Mark Zuckerberg, but literally listen to the people who have done the things that you'd like to do. There's going to be nuggets in each of those that I think will resonate with you. And then bring your own spin and experience to it. And I think you'll find that, again, that marriage of your experiences and your passion will find you your purpose. And it sounds like you are very much at the intersection of your passion and experience, uh, very much riding your purpose and, and that wave pretty strongly. Um, so what's next in the world of, of Mike Bins? I appreciate that. I'm trying. I do not in any way, shape or form mean to give off the impression that I've got this together. I'm going to tell you, I do not. <laughs> like people say, I put my pants on one leg at a time like everyone else, right? I'm still trying to figure out what that means. For me, I, I want equality. I want to focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I love, love tech and the law. So I took a look at that and it's okay. How does someone like myself come to where I am? How do I make and replicate in the world great people who can do what I've done and beyond coming from where I've come from? And so for me, I've always love to grow things. And so what I'm focusing on now is I'm, I'm looking to start my own podcast as well, The Game of Law, bringing people to that journey, through that journey, not just my journey, but the journey of other lawyers and innovators who have stepped into this role. You know, I like the tag phrase for The Game of Law is giving you the ins and outs of the legal profession from the diverse perspective. We don't often hear about the stories that matter to us. We don't realize that there's a lot that you can do in the law with a legal degree that's more than you might think. It's not all criminal law, which is an important aspect, but it's not the only law. We don't have the conversations about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and how Uncle Phil made his millions so that he could live in <laughs> Bel-Air, right? Why does that matter? Well, if you see those, those images of lawyers on TV, well, how does that play in real life? What are the lawyers behind the scenes that get these big deals done? And how do you think about from a younger perspective deciding to enter that journey. I'd love to bring that. I want people, you know, growing up in underrepresented groups to say, you know what, maybe I will be a baller or an entertainer or a lawyer. Who knows? They're all balling out of control, but at least they're options, right? <laughs> I want that to become a regular conversation. And then the other thing is I'm working on a podcast network because I think voices like yours need to be heard. 
So, you know, the group of podcasters that I'm bringing together under a unified umbrella, Bins Media Group, amplifying the voices that I think people want to hear. Just kind of getting getting those voices out there in a unified approach, because I think voices like yours, voices of underrepresented groups, they're not being told to the kids. They're not falling in people's feeds. Again, digging through the noise of what we're trying to hear to really get that meaningful content is important. So working on those two as the next phase, I'd say, of my life. What exciting two projects. I'm looking forward to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Looking to launch Q3 this year. So really excited about that. Got some really good content that we've got so far and excited for the next phase. Please make sure you give us the links. We'll share it for sure. Uh, It's very important that voices uh, like yours are heard because they have such an important impact and uh, they leave an important feeling with those who listen, namely that all things are possible. You simply have to fight and work hard for it, right? Because that's certainly what you've done. You you haven't had it easy in any way, shape or form, but you have very much proven that through the perseverance, hard work, effort and targeted with the right places and with the right support, it is possible to be a dreamer to be a change maker, to be an entrepreneur. And that is awesome. So thank you so much, Mike, for your time. It was really, really a pleasure having you on the podcast. And I can't wait for us to do this again. Thank you so much. I'm grateful. Thank you and honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me on and looking forward to seeing the amazing things that you two accomplish, uh, not just here on this podcast, but beyond. And I look forward to amazing things from you both. And that was 20 to 1. For more insights from this episode and others, make sure to subscribe to the monthly newsletter at 20to1.com. And if you like this podcast, make sure to rate it on Spotify. With that, there's nothing left to do than to say thank you, goodbye, and see you soon.